Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dadly Boy Michael Hamflit to discuss everything that happened on last weekend's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We have roundtable discussions. We conduct wrestler interviews, and we host a roundup of the week come Complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Hamlet Rampage, seven out of ten. Uh, I'd go a little bit higher. Yeah, know. me too. Because the problem is, most weeks are between a five and a seven out of ten, and you're just like, oh, this is rampage, baby. But this week, like, this is rampage, baby. This is rampage, boy. I enjoyed it. This was the opposite of an essential. This felt like it had, well, it did. It had ramifications uh, based, you know, that would factor into this week's AEW content. It felt pleasingly, like the very best possible use of the unique setup of the two rings from Blood and Guts. And and I don't know how much that was to do with it, but just seeing it look different as part of what felt like a kind of festival week in AEW with the big dynamite on Wednesday, just like was a breath of fresh air for this show that I think... Rampage is nowhere near as unwatchable as SmackDown, but it is unwatchable in a different way in that it's entirely missable. Like, I don't like the feeling bit, when bit I... Well, I don't like the feeling most weeks when I watched a rampage that I not that I needn't have bothered, but very little made me made that sort of hour feel like a valid use of my time. And we've talked a lot about this. Like all wrestling, even the good wrestling, AEW, is content as much as it is product. And you've got to feel like you're filling your life with the good content and just a, a rampage never has enough of that. This week had arguably more than dynamite. It was that sort of fun and fast-paced an hour. Yeah, I really, really like this episode. Um, again, good use of the two rings, the spectacle, um, ramifications. The action was good to very, very good across the board. Um, but more to the point, there was a, something about something in the Royal Rampage where mm. I was like, I was fantasy booking. I was yeah. thinking of directions for every character, what could be um, returned to, what could be advanced. Um, and the winner of the Royal Rampage was someone I desperately wanted to win. I picked him as my, and genuinely, I did not go out looking for the spoilers. Someone I really thought would be the perfect opponent for John Moxley, given his history and how good he was during the initial AEW World title run. Someone who could really withstand the defeat, provided the um, the match is laid out well enough, and I'm just so hyped for it when it happens on Wednesday, but we're getting ahead of ourselves slightly. I'll say this on the Royal Rampage, because I don't think it's going to factor into when you've done the play-by-play and we go over the winner and the, you know, the sort of the big finish and stuff. What I really liked about this was WWE have kind of, for all that Royal Rumble is still this year, notwithstanding, quite entertaining. 
most of the time, more entertaining than not. It's pretty poor. They they've kind yeah, of it was really poor. This year was really poor. But typically, I think the Rumbles, normally at least one of the Rumble matches is really good. Neither were good this year, but I, I understand the general point you're Generally trying to speaking, make. Generally speaking, it's not because of the things that made the old Rumbles great. They have just ignored the things that you, the Pats, Pats and Rumbles that used to be so fantastic. They've kind of gone away from that and they moved into a different era of designing and laying out Royal Rumbles. It was great that AEW just finally nicked the Royal Rumble yeah. because they wanted to book it like an old-fashioned one. They realised that you can tell bigger picture stories throughout, and yet you can have lots of little micro stories that can either feed into something on the night or something that feeds into the bigger picture for other wrestlers. And I just, there was that theme throughout. Most things meant something, and I genuinely really appreciated that, and I was glad to see that gimmick in the hands of people that appreciated, like, the older, let's be honest, better version of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to run through it chronologically because there's too much to... um go through and we can't be here all day so I'm just going to give you a scattershot three four minute um, rant or you know stream of consciousness about what I thought was good and bad about it I thought there was only one glaring flaw like fundamentally I didn't think it was too confusing I think the split screens worked well I think the production team did a reasonably decent job of concentrating on the action and the fact that it flipped between the two rings I would do this after every single blood and guts potentially mm. that didn't have that battle royale problem where too many people are just selling and clearly just not, they're not working in a convincing way. The yeah. battle royals are inherently contrived and people are lying down after taking so much. But the thing is, if you're not concentrating on the same people in the corners the entire time, you're not watching very unconvincing, phony, mm. contrived selling that only exists to allow people to run spots in the middle of the ring. So I really like the two ring aspect um, in that regard. The red and blue ring, I did forget who was coming into which ring. Mm. I think red and blue just needlessly overcomplicated things. Yeah. There didn't need to be a colour code or anything like that. It was just we're going to alternate the rings that everyone goes into. I'd drum know. up the excitement of your average Survivor Series. Yeah, Surely. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Maybe that's just a pedantic point, but um, ultimately it didn't um, impact my enjoyment at all. The only thing I had a problem with, and as much as I really liked his exchange with Konosuke Takeshita, and as much as I'd like to see that ram back, um, I don't think it was at all wise to put Orange Cassidy in there just for him to get mm. kind of unceremoniously eliminated. It's one of those where it really worked for Hangman Page because he was there virtually from the off and him getting eliminated with an absolute thwack, my I add, by Brody King. I thought that worked fabulously well. It did help to legitimize Brody King as a really strong TV challenger. Um, but Page was in there for a while. And yeah, I just don't think they should have had Orange Cassidy after the week he's had just do like a pretty meaningless cameo so that's the one thing that really annoyed me elsewhere um, the Butcher and the Blade it was great to see them for a prolonged stint because I've, I've missed them for a long time I think they're great um, they are the team that I will be a hypocrite and say no I like that as solid they're, my, they're the only solid act that I will actually get excited by, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, Takeshita looked amazing in here. Darby Allen was doing great stuff. Um, there was one moment as well when the field started to thin out where Brody King, Ricky Starks, and Hangman Page had like this one-minute-long three-way match yeah. that I thought was absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> like It's weird. Like These matches exist to... Fantasy book mid-card and undercard TV matches. And that's not what I'm likely to see, I don't think, mm. but I'd absolutely take it because I thought their exchanges were fabulous. Hangman Page and John Silver teased tension, but then they were just mates. I quite liked that mm -hmm. very early. I wouldn't have liked it later on, but I liked it early as a sort of a, a nice subversion on a really, really worn trope at this point. Um, 
there were certain moments as well where I think that they will get this right the next two, three times that they do it. Mm. I did think they could have done a bit more with Keith Lee and Swerve and Hobbs and Starks, but Starks entered a star-making performance. But ultimately, this is all about getting the winner over and readying, readying him for John Moxley on Wednesday, and I honestly don't think they could have done a better job. Brody King came out and looked great. Um, a quick incidental note on Jim Ross. I thought he detracted from the broadcast. I never realised how much I didn't want him there on a Friday until he came here. But, like, if they could just... Get Jim Ross to put over big men. <laughs> like, that would be this. Don't put them anywhere near a match with smaller people in it. Or if they do, just say, right, Jim Ross, you'll get fined if you bury something in here. Yeah. Your only job is to put over big guys. I think it'd be amazing. Did you watch? I know I'm rambling. Did you watch the countdown to Forbidden Door? No, I didn't. He's, get he's so great when he's got this economical authority about mm-hmm. him, Jim Ross. He was previewing the um, the IWGP and ROH World Tag Team 3-way and, like, you know, that was Shivani and um, Excalibur and Jim Ross been talking heads, giving their thoughts on who might win and all the rest of it. And um, Jim Ross was like, oh, United Empire will win, you know, Great O'Connor's this, plus they've got Jeff Cobb. Yeah. And him just saying, they've got Jeff Cobb, of course they're going to win, just really, like, so few words, but so much impact. He's kind of become his hero, in a sense. He's kind of become Gordon Soley. There was a point where, for years into the 90s, Gordon Soley could still be this incredible voice of gravitas and authority on occasion, but you couldn't put him out there to call matches because the 90s had moved past what his style was yeah, associated yeah. with. And he's kind of entered that um, that period of his career, of which there is absolutely no shame, because it takes all the years before to have such stock and gravitas in the first place, but it does make it a bit more of an awkward meshing of the two things when he is set out there to call things he simply doesn't buy yeah. or believe. Like, you could hear it out of Soli's voice. It's like, this is not the guy that's like should be calling, you know, like genre-bending cruiserweight action yeah, of the yeah, mid-90s, yeah. you know? I know, I get it, I get it as well. But this was all about Brody King. Jim Ross did really well to put Brody King over, and Brody King was absolutely class here. He comes in, he just lights up. Um, Dustin Rhodes, it looks awesome. Does, he works that wonderful three-way sequence with Ricky Starks and Hangman Page. He eliminates in a shocking, like, we are really putting you over for now sort of way, um, Page. And it's great because it doesn't really out-muscle him. There's not really this um, sense that Page has been absolutely eliminated. He comes back onto the apron. Mm. And it's an opportunistic moment from Brody King, but it never really also feels like this squippy, lucky thing because he just... Beasts him off this yeah. apron, and Page is an absolutely phenomenal bump, and he just does an excellent job, as you'd expect. Comes down to Darby Allen and Brody King, um, the final two rings. The second that he realizes all I have to do is take him out, it is great because he just storms through both sets of ropes, picks up Darby Allen, he somehow throws him between the top and middle ropes. Because he puts him through <laughs> into the other side of the ring, he starts beating him up. Then they do this tremendous sequence, which is really yet another credit to Brody King's amazing performance because um, just putting over the dynamic, like um, Darby Allen's woefully outmatched um, by Brody King. So he just has to bite his hands on the rope. I thought Brody King did a great job of kind of teasing the fact that he's going to get eliminated. It took a lot of body control for such a big fella to not sort of slip. And he was really doing the, um, the suspenseful near elimination spot. He steps back in the ring. He dumps... Um, Darby onto the apron this time, puts him in a sleeper hold, and he just, you've all seen the spot. It's fantastic. He dangles or hangs Allen over the ropes. Darby Allen looks like he's dead, and then he just drops him. Yeah. It's like, you are dead. You've killed him. I watched a <laughs> murder here. It was absolutely fantastic. And so I think Moxley versus Brody King will be fabulous. I'm going to not tell you why I think it's going to be fabulous. I'm waiting for the Dynamite preview <laughs> to do that. But I think 
the Brody Derby thing isn't by accident. And I'm going to tell you why right now. I'm going to skip ahead into the medium future as opposed to the short future, which you'll get on Wednesday. Um, Brody King and Derby Allen can run this back. I think they've got a phenomenal match in them. They are like really close friends. Um, so I think they've pitched working together. The, the, the glimpse we got of it was absolutely fantastic. And Darby Allen beating Brody King, fresh off what should be an absolute war, like a really great, critically revered war against John Moxley. And Darby Allen doing stuff with Brody King, and then Malachi alongside potentially Sting. Like all of that could be great, yeah. a bit nerdy and gothy, but in the ring it should be absolutely great. But what were your thoughts on the match? Nerdy and gothy, but. By the way, by the time that match comes around, they're probably going to be talking one and two in the rankings. So that route to Darby Allen and Sting versus the Young Bucks off the back of Forbidden Door yeah. goes through House of Black. So you've got, like, yes, nerdy, gothy stuff, but with tag team title ramifications. Yeah. So a feud with a purpose as well. That sense, what I got from this match, which sort of ties in, is that sense that maybe, just maybe, AW were trying to long-term book again. Because, God, I've missed it. Yeah. There were so many little touches in this Battle Royal. Again, like the the details that old Raw Rumbles used to pepper in because it was going to... Basically, it was going to flesh out a WrestleMania card with a bunch of little mini-programs just set up in this Battle Royal where it's the one time where you can create things instantaneously, or at least on the surface, it yeah. looks instantaneous. Um, just so well booked. Brody King, effectively, he's kind of taken a bit of a shortcut to John Moxley at the expense of a lot of other people, not least the much smaller Darby Allen. But all he's doing is playing the cards he's dealt. Yeah. It's not his fault that he got such a favourable draw and has been able to be such a big guy that can monster smaller, more tired guys. But why would he not take advantage of that? Yeah. You know, John Moxley himself, absolutely knackered. The guy just works blood and guts in that very ring uh, on that when, on that same Wednesday night. And then one week later, the two of them have got to go from their respective, you know, Wednesdays to this. Brody King fresh as a daisy, winning a match relatively straightforward. With John Moxley bleeding his way through two grueling wars. Yeah. It's a perfect setup for John Moxley to gut his way to victory in the way that he typically does against guys like Brody King. The Brody Derby stuff was tremendous. I'd picked Derby Allen for this. I'd gone off on my own fantasy booking thread where Derby and Moxley go again because their chemistry is amazing. And Derby Allen wants to win the interim title for the big all out match with CM Punk. I'd sort of mapped that out in my head yeah. to such an extent that despite the fact I don't really like him he's a little slug of a boy but I was emotionally invested in Derby's win and that I thought played into that I think the crowd were too when it became clear that that was how it was going to end it was that reminder that with Derby Allen they kind of they need to stop taking the piss with the credit they've built up with him because you saw there in that moment when people were seeing or were starting to think about Derby Allen being back in the title picture they really really yeah. wanted it AEW cannot neglect that and they've kind of I wouldn't say they've been neglectful, but they've kind of been a bit complacent with Darby Allen's booking and how much you can beat him and what you do with him in like on big shows, on major pay-per-views. And you could just see in the audience for one night for the first time in a while, he felt like a singles player again. And AEW should take heed from that, not to not to drop the ball with him, I think, going forward. Rest match was really great. The um the Hangman Page John Silver stuff I thought was a really nice reference. But especially because they never um they never went back on it. They never sort of betrayed that they really were doing it for laughs. They actually are mates, even in the context of a battle royal. And that played as a really nice contrast to um, Swerve in Our Glory. Like the very thing that is yeah. at the root of their tension was something that Hangman Page and John Silver played for laughs because they are actual friends. Uh, the elimination, as you say, it was just fantastic for the finish. A really nice way. A very, very AEW uh, finish to a battle royal in the just, the, just that sort of creativity that I'm seeing flashes of again in AEW. 
this last week or so, I'm feeling a little more, a little bit more inspired that they're going to get the groove back over the summer. I think there are clues in these recent broadcasts that they're just they're getting it together again. The details, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just nice to see the details coming back. It doesn't feel like everything's setting up a one month build for a belt. Yeah. It just feels like that more things are being, more seeds are being planted for a pay per view three months from now. All it took was having that roster diminish slightly in size. <laughs> yeah. Not in the most, like, ideal ways, of course, but, you know, Jesus Christ, it's something we've been talking about for a while. Right, I've got a question for you, and I don't know the answer. Uh, what does this mean? Anything essential is invisible to the eyes. <laughs> well, I know what it means. I means It means that you're killing your golden goose, and you're not fixing the problem with Hook. That's what it means. Yeah, what does it mean? I, I don't know. Is he going to join the Herzoblick? Is he just for context here? That's what Alex Marvez said to Hook in a backstage interview when Marvez said something to the f- effect of "You're a man of few words, or you don't oh, really have much fire, or something." Do you know it reads like when friggin' Joey Barton was trying to babyface himself on Twitter with Smith's lyrics. Yes, that's what this reminded me of. And I'm not comparing the two because Hook's ace and Joey Barton's a slime. But like, don't use these like overly verbose, uh, like verbals to try and take the silent killer and say well you know what he's not just a killer he's a bit mystical he's intellectual too he's a uh, like and you know then and he's also handsome he's a triple threat you know he, so what like I, I don't care i don't want to hear this this is absolutely not the we all sort of rejoiced quietly when we said our oh, hookhausen hit its peak past its peak you're damaging both so you split them up and then hook immediately rebounds with that really sweet introduction of FTR and the coming together of those two. FTR, that's an effectively an endorsement. Yeah, like yeah, he's a little weirdo creep, but like this guy can go. Like if FTR say so, then he's all right. Yeah, with yeah, that's yeah. you know, um, what the hell was this? What the, what the hell was this in terms of Hook's next move? Because they're just they're overthinking this badly. I think the idea is, as you said, to make him seem like he's not just this athletically gifted guy who couldn't care less. There's like serious intellectual side, a mysterious side to Hook, but I don't, I don't care to know what he's talking about. Because it's not just yet more for the Hook meme crowd when you kind of just by having him on television that satisfies the Hook meme yeah. crowd. Do more for anyone that just wants to see Hook Thing is, like, drop people. Yeah, he's a young lad and he's been built as this great cool hope of wrestling's future to get like mm. younger people watching it because there's, there's enough people in the 30s who watched it in the Attitude Era and the Golden Era when they were kids. So maybe... Yeah, you don't go on Instagram, do you? No. Right. I find it such a weird experience. Um, I don't know. I must like like... Sometimes he's like... If you go onto your search and say, yeah, some suggested popes. I don't really follow anyone on Instagram other than my mates. I don't know why I get drawn to this. But, and I suppose this is the thing that's happened with all generations of youth, and I'm just nearly 37, and I've forgotten. I used to do this with MSN Messenger. Yeah. You used to do it. You used to put lyrics on, mm-hmm. thinking you were, like, profound. Oh, yeah. And you were, like, the that um, lyric from this Taken Back Sunday song yeah. really speaks to me, and, in fact, the world. Because the girl I fancied at school, we were having that chat that day, and I wanted this inside joke to be broadcast to the world, but secretly only to her. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you have this sort of false sense of... Prof- it's absolutely excruciating. When you I have this it, yeah. excruciating false sense of profundity yes. as a teenager or yeah. as a very young person where you think you've worked it out, but you, <laughs> you haven't realised yet that nothing means anything. You know what, you You're know trying gives, to grasp what it all means and it's all meaningless. Do you know what gives me the dreads? Like, we're old enough now to realise that 
and yet still be unaware that like a 47 year old is thinking that about us. Yeah, I know. That really stresses me out to think about like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, in 10 more years, like if this podcast still exists anywhere, I'll be cringe on Spotify or wherever we can get them. We'll be listening. A couple of absolute idiots. Yes. Brain dead fools that knew nothing. That knew nothing. Yeah. But whenever, whenever you go on Instagram, it's the same with me, MSN lyrics. That was an old instant messaging service, kids. <laughs> like proto WhatsApp, except yeah. online. And you would set your status to something that you thought seemed like really cool and mysterious mm-hmm. and, you know, heartfelt. And if you go on Instagram now, it's just a different generation saying different things. But, like, they're all, like, cod philosophers. Yeah. Where they're all, like, you know what the meaning of life is? And, like, they'll, they'll give you it. It's yeah. like, oh, you know, relationships be like that. <laughs> and like, I'm reading, like, this white text black font. And I'm like, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> You're trying to be profound, and you sound like an absolute goddamn moron. So me being generous, right, okay. is that Hook, who will have the same kind of creative outlet to say his, his promos in his own words as everybody else on the roster, maybe it's a, a really young lad who thinks he's profound. Maybe. Yeah. What I Am song by Edie Brickell, where it's like, I'm not aware of too many things. Philosophy, there's words on the back of Hook's Chris Packett. <laughs> like that. Smile on a dog. You know that song? Uh, no. It's awful. It Emma Bunt Bun- covered it in the 90s as well. All right. It's called What I Am. Google it when we get back in the no. office. <laughs> so maybe I'm thinking he thinks he's profound. Like young so. people on Instagram? I don't know. Um, either way. Does it Does it? Maybe this will it? connect. Maybe this will be the thing that gets the mythical... <laughs> the casual, casual fan. Fans. The casual fan was real. And what they wanted was Todd philosophy. Instagram and its full for, for profundity... It's like a thing. Has, is Instagram not like Twitter in the sense that it's aged out, though? So, like, have young people not abandoned I'm, I'm Instagram? I'm literally too old to know. Because <laughs> you can't even. We'd be too old now. It's just an inception like this. If I was say, like, oh, aren't the young people on TikTok? Actual young people would have a go at me for thinking that they're on TikTok because they're on whatever the thing that, in, like, two or three years' time, our own children are going to discover. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Even TikTok feels like it must it must have aged out now of the of the youngest demographic. There must be something else that we just can't have heard of because yeah. we're hooks like a huge hit on Roblox or something. Cuz you're 37 and I'm 36. Yeah. <laughs> I said that, that that's the one thing that's a fact you'll always be older than me. Like in this, yeah. in this period in 3 or 4 years it'd be like see the thing about you happen is you're in your 40s. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in my 30s. <laughs> it's like August. 30s. Right. <laughs> This is a tangent. It's just as a WWE thing that we do. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Um, the next match, it's the Young Bucks uh, versus Bishamon, which is Yoshihashi, who's just quite funny, and <laughs> Hiroki Goto. Um, I like this. I like the endearing, but kind of naff Yoshihashi. The Bucks kind of taking the mick out of him and controlling him. Then Goto comes in, and he's the big badass. So he's becoming a New Japan dad before our very eyes mm. is Goto. Like, we know of Nagata and Tenzan, and like, Goto, like, even before you even realize, it's like, oh, you're a dad now. Yeah. You can have a four star with John Moxley on Dynamite, please. I'd actually really <laughs> like that. And it's a more sh- uh, stripped back, I guess, um, version of a Young Bucks match, but they can work any kind of match. They don't rely on anything. It's great at telling stories, to um, paraphrase that dickhead, who's <laughs> Pritchard. Um, we get some usual Young Bucks stuff, uh, the locomotion at Northern Lights Suplex. Um, we get Goto just absolutely beating the crap out of them and he gets back in the ring. And ultimately, this is just a nice, solid, but because the Young Bucks, I will excuse it, um, TV match that starts in the last three minutes getting incredible because mm. it's the Young Bucks. And as much as I um, pitched for Phoenix to work the double rings, and as much as this match was meant to happen per the um, per potentially Dave Meltzer, or it's been a bit muddied that report. Anyway, Phoenix might have been scheduled for Blood and Guts, but couldn't make it. No matter, we've got Nick Jackson, who can just go springboard from one set of ropes to the other, to go to Goto, which doubles as a neat spot because Goto didn't it didn't feel contrived because Goto going to the other ring is just like if he was nearer the outside, he would have taken a powder on the outside. Yeah. But Nick Jackson realised, oh, I can get you, and quickly, I don't have to climb through ropes and get um, like sort of ensnared by it, if you like. I can use my amazing athletic prowess and a genuine highlight reel moment for Nick Jackson and think of the ground that covers to go hop, hop, crossbody, Great spot, and then he does it again, which is ridiculous for the Melter driver, which is possibly the, one of the be- better Melter mm. drivers you'll ever see. It's quick, it's compact, it's stripped back, but then it's awesome. This is just a nice way to watch, what, eight minutes of your life. Yeah, like the Unbooks never miss. It just depends how hard they choose to hit, doesn't it? And there was only a certain amount they needed to to make this good. I really liked about this how the tone was the Young Bucks kind of willfully um, underestimating the potential threat of Goto and Yoshihashi, but Goto especially, followed by, because they've done that, because they've laid that out against these two who have basically just wrestled on a, a pre-show. So to an AEW fan and somebody that doesn't watch New Japan or even only has a passing interest, sees these strictly as kind of undercard goobers. And the Young Bucks have allowed you to think that. 
And then what they do is they then open the match up for Goto and Yoshiashi to find their way back in, at which point the Young Bucks have to turn on the style to show why they've underestimated them in the first place. They know they're better, but they've got to show just enough ass at that sort of, that like I say midway point, it's an eight to ten minute match, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like about sort of like the four or five minute mark. They've got to have shown enough ass that you buy just for a split second that they can win, which requires the Young Bucks to go up a gear. Not all the way, not all the way into top gear, but up enough to get the win, which is what justifies and draws out the Young Bucks getting cocky and ultimately super cool with the high spots. It, it was just a perfectly agented match, but what else would you expect from the Young Bucks? Yeah. I got such a good feeling from this about maybe maybe the is AEW good again? It's a lot more simpler than I'm making it. Young Bucks are the tag champions and John Moxley's got the big belt. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe like the right people are like back on top. I know yeah. that sounds a bit like I'm nostalgic for an era and it tends to be that you should never go back. You should yeah. always be thinking forward. But I don't know. It does it does sort of feel like things are a bit more where they should be. Yeah, right now well, in, with in you. terms of like in terms of the big picture AW stuff. And I got that a lot. I was seeing the Young Bucks as tag champs again. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. In a moment that will never be remembered, I'll only remember it now because I'm literally like looking at my notes. That also like kind of alarmed me. Um, go backstage for a interview with Jonathan Gresham. Um, he says things to the effect of, "I'm tired of the conversation about Danielson and Sabre Junior." I think he references a ma- the the match that they were going to have at Forbidden Dawn. Says something to the effect of, "No, not those two. Me," which might be a, a hint towards uh, matches that we could see down the line between Gresham. Danielson and Sabre Jr., but he says, no, I'm actually the best technical wrestler on the planet. Look, I've got the gold to prove it. They don't. I'm going to prove it next week um, in the tag team match against the Gates of Agony, which comprise um, Tully Blanchard Enterprises <laughs> alongside Brian Cage. What worries me about this, that was always going to be the case, right, is that this follows a backstage interrupted interview and it's kind of trademark signature at this point, Tony Khan booking a tag team match that's eventually probably going to arrive at... Um, Moriarty versus Gresham in a singles match because, in fact, I think they were talking about that before Gates of Agony came in. Ultimately, this is very... um, I'll describe this as a cliched, phoned-in, AEW-style development and the fact that we're already seeing this kind of booking done exclusively via pre-tapes as it pertains to Ring of Honor. It just feels like an imposition on AEW. It feels like Tony Khan's going to book ROH in exactly the same way as he books AEW. And not only is that boring... I was going to say it's bad for the industry if it's homogenized, but there wasn't really going to be an ROH that kind of doesn't work as a take. But at the same time, I don't need to see two companies booked in exactly the same way. Um, it just, I, I, I maintain, I contend that Tony Khan at most point have a little bit of buyer's remorse about this (laughs) ROH thing. He's shuffling away stuff, tucked into the middle of Rampage. Um, Hardly anything's getting real shine on Dynamite um, with good reason because there's too much to do in AEW on the AEW TV shows. It just feels like buyer's remorse. A glimpse at ROH is not going to be anything different to AEW and, you know, a booker's got one style and that's, you know, that's why they... Tony Khan can tell a number of different stories but he's only, at this point, seems to be telling his most phoned-in ones with ROH and I'm just bored by the whole thing. Yeah, you don't want an entire, regardless of what your thoughts on Ring of Honor's past, present, or indeed future are, you don't want it to basically just scan as Battle of the Belts under the ROH flag, do you? It's, yeah, it's the simplest way I can think to sort of, because if, you know, if you like Tony Khan's style of booking and, or you like generally what AEW's been, which obviously most people listening to this probably will have done, then the argument might be, well, you know, what's the problem with a little bit more of it in the form of Ring of Honor, especially if I don't necessarily have to watch. I might tune in if there's people on matches or combos I want to see, but it's not going to be it's not going to be a guarantee of on my time like Rampage or Dynamite might be. 
I would just say, when was when was TNA at its worst, and when did TNA fail the most? Was when it attempted to be like WWE. TNA's best shot was when it genuinely felt like an alternative, and then you would kind of tolerate the WWE-ness of it because you were like, well, I'm going to stick around because the alternative bits are absolutely amazing. AEW have never really bothered with having their WWE-inclusive bits. It's like, we're going to be full alternative, full alternative. But, like, Ring of Honor becoming a lesser than AEW diminishes both yeah. in much the same way TNA being a WWE did. I don't have particularly high hopes for this. AEW. Like, the, the Tony Khan vision of Ring of Honor, I'm sure will be with an attempt at great love and respect and adoration for the original Ring of Honor. But even I'm I'm even nervous about like the aesthetics of Ring of Honor. Because Forbidden Door looked like an AEW show. Yeah. They've kind of shown that they've only got one way to make wrestling look yeah. as well. And it's such it's, it's such a big deal. Remember WCW Raw? Like in, yeah, no, you know, it Tacoma, was horrific. you know, like the it's it's like that stuff really does matter, how it looks, how it feels. You can put you know, Caprice Coleman and Ian Riccoboni or whoever at the desk, it's it's got a feel like Ring of Honor. And I've even got a feeling based on the storylines, based on the aesthetics, based on the fact that, like, you get, like, Ring of Honor, like, guys cutting promos now in an AEW style, that it's this NXT to WWE comparison is going to be too real and it's yeah. going to manifest as something that feels a little bit pointless. The only thing I will say is Gresham naming uh, Brian Danielson. Here it was. Like, I wonder which... AEW big star, they're just going to sacrifice for carrying Ring of Honor. And what I mean by that is not Willie Uta winning the pure title and basically being a functioning member of AEW. I mean, a guy that's going to win the Ring of Honor title from Jonathan Gresham and be there. So let's say it's Brian Danielson. He really shouldn't be on AEW television because you're just ruining the potential of a future invasion. Yeah. You're kind of wrecking the point of having two rosters. When somebody is earmarked as a Ring of Honor guy, that's where they should stay. Yeah. And I feel like the only way you're going to sell Ring of Honor pay-per-views is by putting AEW stars on there. Being exclusive so to you, it. Yeah, so you either mix and match and kind of dilute both, or you take people from AEW and take the risk of losing them from your from your regular rotation. Yeah. It's not going to be an easy transition at all, this. And yeah. I don't relish it because, like... I, don't, I didn't get a thirst to watch a Ring of Honor pay-per-view off this. No, and that's wish, the point, isn't it? Like, AEW's got, hadn't got to be the shop window for this Death Before Dishonor show. They've got to, all they've got to sell the show is, like, AEW's muscle and YouTube. Yeah. So we're going to get a lot of this. And I didn't, this, as a starting point, I wasn't thinking to myself, ah, I can't wait for all of us to get together and talk about the ramifications of Sunday's yeah, Ring of Honor show. It's a, that feels a long way off. I know, I know. Well, we've got the main event, and I really, really like the pre-match interview this week. Um, it's Tony Storm versus Nyla Rose. And Tony Storm is really, really, really serviceable. And I know that sounds like an insult, but compared to where she was as a promo, uh, she's much better now. I think they've managed to uh, carefully allow her to rebuild their confidence um, but Nyla Rose is absolutely fantastic here. <laughs> she has such a way with a sound bite and a threat and a sort of just a great promo delivery. She says, if <laughs> Marina Shafir is standing right next to her, so it doesn't kind of work. She's putting her down, but she says, if Marina, Shif- if Marina Shafir is a problem, I'm a goddamn catastrophe. <laughs> just what an absolutely great line it is. And I thought this match was decent. Um, bit of an over-delivery, in fact. It's always good to see Nyla Rose. Um, they're really good at agenting matches with monsters in it AEW, which is ironic considering it was called all petite wrestling by dickheads way back in the day. Like, the second they started coming in, they just seemed to nail it. Mm. There's a moment where Tony Storm looks like she's about to try and control um, Nyla Rose into position for a move, and Nyla Rose just kind of nopes it by standing there. And just <laughs> lariats are right on the chest. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, there's some bombs thrown here. 
Um, a thrust kick by uh, Nyla Rose, which is really on the button, very impactful. And she tries to go for the diving knee drop, but I think Storm telegraphs countering it, if I'm being honest. But the German suplex makes up for it because it's absolutely massive. Um, throughout the match, there's a lot of interference from Marina Shafir. And again, this is where Jim Ross is a detriment to this company, just as much as, as he's a, 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 he enhances it. Like, maybe I would have started to have gotten a little bit annoyed, but Jim Ross just hyper-pedantic, focusing in on things that he disagrees with. It's like, just because you disagree with it doesn't mean that the whole world should be like, it just puts you in a bad mood and he creates a bad vibe around the product. He should be doing the opposite. I know he has his authority to hold on to, but, you know, there's just ways of doing things, and I just think Jim Ross has completely and utterly lost it. His thing, Jim Ross, is like, um, when there's a 10-man tag, you should have more than one ref. Mm. He's, he loves this. He's like yeah. a dog with a bone uh, <laughs> with this. And he's like, oh, should be another referee. You can't control of it. And then when Shafir, and yeah, she was interfering a lot, it did make the referee look incompetent. So I guess it should be called out. I don't know. But I was going to the point now where a one-on-one match needs two referees. Just remember, referees, referees. It's like, Jim, Jim, Jim. You just Wait, what? shut up. If he got that and he got his wishes, oh, too many goddamn referees out here. Yeah, Because you're not suggesting that in a kind of negative tone. You know? The worst thing is, he's, I think he's got a bit more sway with Tony Khan. And I know he was like, he had a big role in WWE backstage as well. But, like, he just... He's called some utter bollocks in the Attitude Era that made absolutely no sense. Mm -hmm. And he never, ever was like this, like he was in the Attitude Era. Well, the fact that something like Bowling Shoe Ugly, like these little little euphemistic little slip-ins that he would put in to sort of regain his integrity, let us all know, let us all, like, with a wink, sort of be like, we all know that was crap, right, guys? And then on you go to the next thing. But we knew that when he knew it. Now yeah. we don't agree with what he's saying. Oh, he just gets annoyed with stuff. Just, he just gets annoyed with stuff. Like open disdain for some of the things that get booked in the company he's meant to put over. It's just getting too much. And do you get the feeling that there's things that he's wanted to do or not do in a production meeting, been told no, we're doing that, and then this is his way to voice his displeasure, Potentially, and not getting his way. That's Jim. And you know, Jim's <laughs> a legend, and all the rest of it. It's like I know he is, and I know he can add so much, but at the same time, it's when he does the. It's this experiment that they are doing. I think Dave Meltzer referred to it as an experiment. It's absolutely failed dismally because is part of the reason. And I know the audience in the the fans in in attendance didn't care who was on commentary because they weren't listening to it and they were white hot. Is it as simple? And I'm, this is a genuine question because everyone's had a problem, or like a lot of people have had a problem with Jim Ross for quite some time. Mm. The tone of this is absolutely amazing. Set a forbidden door. Was a not inconsiderable part of that, Jim Ross not being there for the first half of the show? Because when he's on Rampage, you kind of realise where he doesn't belong or hasn't been. It's like, oh, it's a bit of a downer now, because Jim's here. So, like, right, I love Tony Schiavone, but there is a certain absurdist element to the what's required of him on any given Dynamite, right? And yet he is so, like, for a guy that was on the headset for all those years in WCW... He kind of like fits the Mean Gene role perfect now, doesn't he? He's, yeah. the, he's the roving reporter guy in the scene with the microphone, so authoritative, can tell that he helps younger guys along like in all those little subtle ways that the likes of a Mean Gene used to. Like I think Kevin Kelly, Excalibur and Taz was the best AEW announcer booth ever. Like in that, in that short burst. See, I'm I, a Shivani guy, so I will disagree on that front. I but let's all agree that Jim Ross Well maybe maybe that's that's it. He's the sort of he's the sort of consistent between the two of us here, isn't he? I just sort of thought and like more Taz, the better. 
Like the more Taz is in one of these roles, yeah, the yeah, better. Yeah. And, and an instant hit. Great chemistry from all the the Patna Dark era with Excalibur as well. I don't know. I just I've seen and heard a different AEW broadcast, and I like what I got. Yeah, I mean, that's what's going on here. I prefer the first hour of Dynamite to the Rampage. I prefer the first two hours of Forbidden Dawn. What does that bloody tell you? But the match, <laughs> um, if nothing else, right? Jim Ross could have buttoned it because the more that Shafir interfered. Mm. The more I generally thought, all right, okay, well, there's a bit of doubt over the outcome. And I got invested in the works really hard. Some of the bombs thrown were really good. But Tony Storm does, in fact, get the win. Then they set up some pretty rubbish <laughs> angle with uh, Thunderstorm. 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 We're all just annoyed we didn't get there first, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like Thunderstorm um, team up, that is, of course, the Rosa and Tony Storm. And it looks like we're going to have uh, a Thunderstorm on our hands, says Excalibur. <laughs> and, in fact, we do have the tag team match next week where, like, Shafia gets a lot of time on Dynamite. I'm not sure she's earned it, but ultimately that's preview fodder. What did you think of the main event? Uh, same for the most part. I, I really like um, pretty much always how they've agented and used Nyla Rose, but brilliantly, she gets better. Of course she does. She improves. So what, we're like three or four years into Nyla Rose now on a, a main stage, like mainstream North American wrestling. And I think she's evolved from just being this monster you've never heard of who you completely believe to somebody that can work longer matches or can adjust the style. She applies, like, we're always giving her credit for, like, the in-ring patter. Obviously, that in the promo that we had before the match was on display. I'm going to be a bit more optimistic about the um, the doom that I brought forth into our podcast universe about women's tag titles. Not because I want to, like, cut into our preview stuff for Tuesday and Wednesday, but because um, I just like... I want to believe that pairing the women or giving the women more allies, because it's not just pairings. You've got the likes of the baddies and, you know, like Statlander and Athena theoretically like looking out for Willow Nightingale and all that kind of stuff. It's it's imperfect. And I know there could be a tag tournament and more belts with, with forthcoming, which is a really terrible Stop idea. Stop talking such, about this. Such a terrible idea. But allies are not. Yes. Allies are not because obviously friends create reasons to have other matches. You have overlapping feuds and things like that that's that's some direction and it is women that are feuding not just for a title but because they actually have a story with somebody or they've got a bone to pick with wrestler a or whatever so like i want to be a bit more optimistic about that and i think that's what this was yes it's setting up a tag match and your point has always stood about like well all right let's say they win what then well, they've risen up in the tag rankings that don't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it, but I think it's just this idea of rather than having one single challenger fights a champion on a cycle of once every two months, allies, friendships create spiraling. You know, it becomes that like it's, spider diagram of feud. So hopefully, that's, well, that's my whole thing. Why I loved AEW in the first place. Now they're finally getting to it with the women. So maybe <laughs> well, three years later, <laughs> absolutely three years pretty later, they realise I should book it like a bit more like that. But um, let us know your thoughts on Rampage under the Twitter link to this podcast. It should drop soon, which you can follow us of course at what culture wwe uh, whilst you're there you can follow michael hamflet at michael hamflet you can follow me at m citric once again you can follow us all at what culture wwe we'll have the raw preview hitting your feeds sometime after this and make sure to check out our money in the bank 2022 review um as well we'll be back tomorrow with the usual stuff i believe and until then thank you for joining us and we will see you soon For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done.